Hello and welcome to Leftist Reading, a podcast where I'm a leftist and I read things. Today we're continuing with Marxism-Leninism, a curriculum of different forms of thought ranging from Marxism through to the modern day. We're currently in the middle of a chapter that's talking about matter and consciousness, both bringing together the ideas of material, somewhat objective reality, and the ways in which subconscious of the individual and society's consciousness as a whole have real and material effects on things as well, even if they are not magically terraforming the world around you. So let's dive right in. 3. The Relationship Between Matter and Consciousness The relationship between matter and consciousness is dialectical. In this relationship, matter comes first, and matter is the source of consciousness. It decides consciousness. However, consciousness is not totally passive. It can impact back to matter through the practical activities of human beings. Annotation 90. Engels explained in Dialectics of Nature that matter evolves out of itself the thinking human brain, which means that matter must necessarily come prior to consciousness. As Marx explains in Capital Volume 1, matter determines conscious activity. Quote, the production of ideas, of conceptions, of consciousness is at first directly interwoven with the material activity and the material intercourse of men, the language of real life. Conceiving, thinking, the mental intercourse of men appear at this stage as the direct efflux of their material behavior. The same applies to mental production as expressed in the language of politics, laws, morality, religion, metaphysics, etc. of a people. Men are the producers of their conceptions, ideas, etc. Real, active men, as they are conditioned by a definite development of their productive forces and of the intercourse corresponding to these, up to its furthest forms. Consciousness can never be anything else than conscious existence, and the existence of men is their actual life process. If in all ideology, men and their circumstances appear upside down as in a camera obscura, this phenomenon arises just as much from their historical life process as the inversion of objects on the retina does from their physical life process. End quote. However, it's important to remember that the relationship between matter and consciousness is dialectical, and that conscious activity, through the combination of willpower and labor, can also impact the material world. Social change arises through the combined willpower of many human beings. See annotation 80. A. The role of matter in consciousness. Dialectical materialism affirms that matter is the first existence and that consciousness comes after. Matter is the source of consciousness. It decides consciousness. We know that matter determines consciousness because consciousness is the product of the high-level structured matter such as the human brain. Consciousness itself can only exist after the development of the material structure of the human brain. Humans are the result of millions of years of development of the material world. We are, therefore, products of the material world. 
This conclusion has been firmly established through the development of natural science, which has given us great insight into the long history of the Earth and of the evolution of living organisms, including human beings. All of this scientific evidence stands as the basis for the viewpoint, matter comes first, consciousness comes after. See Annotation 114. We have already discussed the factors which constitute the natural and social sources of human consciousness. Human brains, impact of the material world on human brains that cause reflections, labor, language. See Annotation 72 and 73. All of these factors also assert that matter is the origin of consciousness. Annotation 91. Figure 1. Material Basis of Consciousness The material basis of consciousness is rooted in the following phenomena. A. The material structure of the human brain. B. Impacts from the material world cause reflections in human consciousness. C. Human labor. Physical process which dialectically develops consciousness. D. Human speech. Physical process which dialectically develops consciousness. E. Evolution of human brains and consciousness through material processes of the material world. For more information, see Nature and Structure of Consciousness. Consciousness is composed of reflections and subjective images of the material world. Therefore, the content of consciousness is decided by matter. See Annotation 68. The development of consciousness is determined by natural laws and by social laws. Footnote 18. As well as the material environment which we inhabit. All of these factors which determine consciousness are material in nature. Therefore, matter determines not only the content but also the development of consciousness. B. The role of consciousness in matter. In relation to matter, consciousness can impact matter through human activities. When we discuss consciousness, we are discussing human consciousness. So when we talk about the role of consciousness, we are talking about the role of human beings. Consciousness, in and of itself, cannot directly change anything in reality. In order to change reality, humans have to implement material activities. However, consciousness controls every human activity, so even though consciousness does not directly create or change the material world, it equips humans with knowledge about objective reality, and based on that foundation of knowledge, humans are able to identify goals, set directions, develop plans, and select methods, solutions, tools, and means to achieve our goals. So, consciousness manifests its ability to impact matter through human activities. The impact of consciousness on matter can have positive or negative results. Annotation 92. Positive and negative, in this context, are subjective and relative terms which simply denote moving towards a goal and moving away from a goal, based on a specific perspective. From the perspective of revolutionary communism, positive can be taken as moving towards the end goal of the liberation of the working class from capitalist oppression and the construction of a stateless, classless society. Likewise, negative can be taken as moving away from that goal. See Annotation 114. 
Humans have the ability to overcome all challenges in the process of achieving our goals and improving our world, so long as our conscious activities meet the following criteria. We must perceive reality accurately. We must properly apply scientific knowledge, revolutionary sentiments, and directed willpower. We must avoid contradicting objective laws of nature and society. Successfully achieving our goals and improving the world in this manner constitutes the positive outcome of human consciousness. On the contrary, if human consciousness wrongly reflects objective reality, nature, and laws, then right from the beginning, our actions will have negative results which will do harm to ourselves and our society. Therefore, by directing the activities of humans, consciousness can determine whether the results of human activities are beneficial or harmful. Our consciousness thus determines whether our activities will succeed or fail, and whether our efforts will be effective or ineffective. By studying the matter, origin, and nature of consciousness, as well as the relationships between matter and consciousness, we can see that matter is the source of consciousness. Footnote 19. Matter determines the content and creative capacity of consciousness. Footnote 20. Matter is the prerequisite to form consciousness. Footnote 21. Consciousness only has the ability to impact matter, and the impact is indirect because it has to be done through human material activities within material reality. Footnote 22. Figure 2. Matter determines consciousness, while consciousness impacts matter indirectly through human activity. The strength with which consciousness can impact the material world depends on the accuracy of reflection of the material world in consciousness, footnote 23, strength of willpower which transmits consciousness to human activity, footnote 24, the degree of organization of social activity, footnote 25, material conditions in which human activity occurs, Footnote 26. Annotation 93. The importance of organization in determining the outcomes of human social activity is one of the most important concepts of Marxism-Leninism and is discussed frequently by Marx, Engels, Lenin, and nearly every other important communist revolutionary in history. Marx explains the connections between social organization and conscious human activity in Capital, Volume 1. See annotation 80. Meaning of the methodology. Dialectical materialism builds the most basic and common methodological footnote 27, principles for human cognitive and practical activities on the following basis. The viewpoint of the material nature of the world, matter comes first, consciousness comes after, the dynamic and creative nature of consciousness, footnote 28, the dialectical relationship between matter and consciousness. Footnote 29. All cognitive and practical activities of humans originate from material reality and must observe objective natural and social laws. However, our activities are capable of impacting the material world through dynamic and creative conscious activity. See the relationship between matter and consciousness. Annotation 94. 
The above paragraph summarizes an important methodological concept which is critical for understanding the philosophical framework of dialectical materialism. Dialectical materialism, as a philosophy, synthesizes earlier materialist and idealist positions by recognizing the fact that the material determines consciousness, while consciousness can impact the material world through willful activity. From this philosophical basis, the methodology of materialist dialectics has been developed to provide a deeper understanding of dialectical development which is rooted in contradiction and negation within and between subjects. Materialist dialectics is the subject of chapter 2. According to this methodological principle, i.e. the principle of the dialectic relationship between matter and consciousness, if we hope to succeed in accomplishing our goals in the material world, then we must simultaneously meet two criteria. 1. We must ensure that our knowledge reflects the objective material world as much as possible, respecting the objective natural and social laws of the material world. We must simultaneously recognize the dynamic and creative nature of our conscious activity. When we say that human activities originate from material reality and must observe objective natural and social laws, we mean that human knowledge must originate from the material world. This means that if we hope to be successful in our activities, we should respect the natural and social laws of the material world. This means that in our human perception and activities, we must determine goals and set strategies, policies, and plans which are rooted firmly in objective material reality. Humans have to take objective material reality as the foundation of our activities and plans, and all of our activities must be carried out in the material world. Humans have to examine and understand our material conditions and transform them in ways that will help us accomplish our goals. When we talk about impacting the material world through dynamic and creative conscious activity, we mean we must recognize the positive, dynamic, and creative roles of consciousness. We must recognize that the role human consciousness plays in dynamically and creatively manifesting our will in the material world through labor. Impacting the material world through conscious activity at a revolutionary scale requires humans to respect and understand the role of scientific knowledge to study laboriously to master such knowledge, and then to propagate such knowledge so to the masses to develop public knowledge and belief as to guide the people's action. Moreover, we also have to voluntarily study and practice footnote 30, in order to form and improve our revolutionary viewpoint footnote 31, and willpower footnote 32, in order to have both scientific and humanitarian activity guidelines. To implement this principle, i.e. the principle of the dialectic relationship between matter and consciousness, we have to avoid, fight against, and overcome the diseases of subjectivism footnote 33, and idealism footnote 34, through such errors as attempting to impose idealist plans and principles, which are not rooted in material conditions, into reality considering fantasy, illusion, and imagination instead of reality, basing policies and programs on subjective desires, using sentiment as the starting point for developing policies, strategies, etc. 
On the other hand, in cognitive and practical activities, we also have to fight against empiricism. Footnote 35 which disregards scientific knowledge and theories, and which is also very conservative, stagnant, and passive. Annotation 95. Figure 3. Process of developing revolutionary public knowledge. Developing revolutionary public knowledge must be preceded by mastery of knowledge and a firm grinding in the role and nature of knowledge. In Socialism, Utopian, and Scientific, Engels makes a scathing critique of idealist socialist revolutionary thought, writing, quote, To all these idealist socialists, socialism is the expression of absolute truth. Footnote 36. Reason and justice, and has only to be discovered to conquer all the world by virtue of its own power and, as an absolute truth, is independent of time, space, and of the historical development of man. It is a mere accident when and where it is discovered. With all this, absolute truth, reason, and justice are different with the founder of each different school. And as each one's special kind of absolute truth, reason, and justice is again conditioned by his subjective understanding, his conditions of existence, the measure of his knowledge, and his intellectual training, there is no other ending possible in this conflict of absolute truths than that they shall be mutually exclusive of one another. End quote. Here, Engels points out the absurdity of the idea that some abstract, purely ideal truth could liberate workers in the material world. Engels continues on, explaining how such idealist socialism could never lead to meaningful revolutionary change. Quote, Hence from this, nothing could come but a kind of eclectic average socialism, which, as a matter of fact, has up to the present time dominated the minds of most of the socialist workers in France and England, hence a mishmash of allowing the most manifold shades of opinion a mishmash of such critical statements, economic theories, pictures of future society by the founders of different sects, as excite a minimum of opposition. A mishmash which is the more easily brewed, the more definite sharp edges of the individual constituents are rubbed down in the stream of debate like rounded pebbles in a brook." End quote. In other words, idealist revolutionary movements only tend to result in endless debate and meaningless theories which are divorced from objective reality and material conditions. Such theories and idealist constructions do not lead to effective action in the real world. Socialism must become real, i.e. based in objective material conditions and praxis. Footnote 37. In the real world to affect change in the material world, as Engels explains elsewhere in Socialism Utopian and Scientific. See Annotation 17. In Critique of the Gotha Program, Marx lays out an excellent case study of the failings of incoherent idealist socialism. He begins by quoting the Gotha Program, which was an ideological program which the German Workers' Party helped to implement. In this text, Marx cites the Gotha program line by line and offers his materialist critique of the idealist principles presented. In the following passage, Marx refutes some key errors caused by idealism and offers materialist correction. Quote, Labor is not the source of all wealth. 
Nature is just as much the source of use values, and it is surely of such that material wealth consists, as labor, which itself is only the manifestation of a force of nature, human labor power. But a socialist program cannot allow such bourgeois phrases to pass over in silence the conditions that loan give them meaning. And insofar as man from the beginning behaves toward nature, the primary source of all instruments and subjects of labor, as an owner, treats her as belonging to him. His labor becomes the source of use values, therefore also of wealth. The bourgeois have very good grounds for falsely ascribing supernatural creative power to labor, since precisely from the fact that labor depends on nature, it follows that the man who possesses no other property than his labor power must, in all conditions of society and culture, be the slave of other men who have made themselves the owner of the material conditions of labor. He can only work with their permission, hence live only with their permission. End quote. Here, Marx points out the importance of having a firm understanding of the material reality of labor and its relation to the material, natural world. Marx points out that the idea that labor alone is the source of all wealth is an idealist notion of the bourgeoisie, a false consciousness. See Annotation 235 which prevents proper material analysis and props up the capitalist viewpoint. A failure to grasp the truth of the material basis of reality weakens the socialist position, and any movement built on such weak idealist foundations will lead to failure in trying to bring about revolutionary change. We have already discussed the shortcomings of empiricism in Annotation 10, but it might be helpful to see another case study this time from Engels, pointing out the flaws of empiricist analysis in his text, Anti-During. Engels begins by quoting the empiricist Eugen During, who wrote, quote, Philosophy is the development of the highest form of consciousness of the world and of life, and in a wider sense, embraces the principles of all knowledge and volition. Wherever a series of cognitions or stimuli or a group of forms of being come to be examined by human consciousness, the principles underlying these manifestations of necessity become an object of philosophy. These principles are the simple, or until now assumed to be simple, constituents of manifold knowledge and volition, like the chemical composition of bodies, the general constitution of things, can be reduced to basic forms and basic elements. These ultimate constituents, or principles, once they have been discovered, are valid not only for what is immediately known and accessible, but also for the world which is unknown and inaccessible to us. Philosophical principles consequently provide the final supplement required by these sciences in order to become a uniform system by which nature and human life can be explained. Apart from the fundamental forms of all existence, philosophy has only two specific subjects of investigation, nature and the world of man. Accordingly, our material arranges itself quite naturally into three groups, namely the general scheme of the universe, the science of the principles of nature, and finally the science of mankind. This succession at the same time contains an inner logical sequence, for the formal principles which are valid for all being take precedence, and the realms of the objects to which they are to be applied then follow in the degree of their subordination. End quote. 
Engels then proceeds to critique this empiricist worldview, showing that it does not properly reflect the material world and amounts to idealism in its own right. Quote, what During is dealing with are therefore principles, formal tenets derived from thought and not from the external world, which are to be applied to nature and the realm of man, and to which therefore nature and man have to conform. But whence does thought obtain these principles? From itself? No, for Herr During himself says, the realm of pure thought is limited to logical schemata and mathematical forms. The latter, moreover, as we shall see, is wrong. Logical schemata can only relate to forms of thought, but what we are dealing with here is solely forms of being, of the external world, and these forms can never be created and derived by thought out of itself, but only from the external world. But with this, the whole relationship is inverted. The principles are not the starting point of the investigation, but its final result. They are not applied to nature and human history, but abstracted from them. It is not nature and the realm of man which conforms to these principles, but the principles are only valid insofar as they are in conformity with nature and history. That is the only materialist conception of the matter, and Herr Döring's contrary conception is idealistic, makes things stand completely on their heads, and fashions the real world out of ideas out of schemata, schemes, or categories existing somewhere before the world, from eternity, just like a Hegel." End quote. Lenin also heavily criticized empiricism in his work Materialism and Imperial Criticism, which we discuss at length in Annotation 32. And that is going to do it for our reading this week. And that is the end of chapter one of three in this book. Uh, they're quite chunky chapters that just have lots of subdivisions within them. This was a really interesting one overall to me because the phrase materialist dialectics is a phrase that is used a lot, that clearly is meaningful, but unpacking literally the fact that materialism exists in opposition to an idealism that is entirely divorced from reality, at least when it is in its worst indulgences, doesn't care about the actual material conditions of things. Makes a lot of sense to understand the ways in which communism as a school of thought is rooted in literal, objective, and material things you can do. People do not have food. You can give those people food and they will have it and that they will have a better life. You can take that food pretty easily from people who do not need that food. Meanwhile, an idealist thought might be lost in notions of something grander, the fact that the bread is something you can wish for, it honestly ends up in some of the worst versions of idealism described. It feels just like The Secret, that book that's about how the power of wishing for things can just fix things for you and you don't need to have any actual change in your life. Um, and I don't think that's a flippant comparison because I think in essence it is the same thing of it is people who are in a position of privilege who have access to things unable to reconcile the notion that other people live differently or more cynically are well aware of this distinction but know that they can sell this philosophy to people. And people who lack the means to actually materially improve their situation 
will be pacified slightly by the idea that there is something within their grasp that doesn't require change, but it's not doing anything for them. At the end of the day, you need the food. The food is there or the food is not. And in the absence of that food, someone's got to do something. But separate to that, I do enjoy the layering of this where consciousness as a whole is still a real thing that is derived from material. Literally, the human brain is a material object that produces consciousness. So likewise, stimuli of real physical objects are developing that consciousness. There are real things undergirding thoughts that are abstract and not material in the same way, but that the interplay is very real and that to make this point again, people who believe in idealism because they are trapped believe in that idealism for real and specific reasons. They're not simply ignorantly refusing the ideas of communism, say, that there are reasons people believe in the things they believe in, even if those reasons are not objective truths all of the time, but may be derived from objective situations. This was very interesting. The next chapter, uh, chapter two, which is the second third of the book, is called Materialist Dialectics, so I expect it will get a lot more into that, and particularly the, the dialectical way of things being in opposition and so forth, that I hope will be helpful because, again, materialist dialectics as a two-word phrase feels like a huge, constantly repeated phrase in communism where the more I begin to understand the actual implications of what it means, the more questions I have, the more I feel like I don't really understand it. So a whole chapter on it sounds like a great idea. But that's all I have for this time. If you have questions, comments, corrections, suggestions, anything like that, you can email a leftistreading at gmail.com. You can also contact the show on Twitter at leftistreading for as long as that exists or is named something that might or may not be Twitter. The intro and outro music is Decisions by Eric Medias. You can find it and more of his work on soundimage.org. This show is hosted on the Abnormal Mapping Network. You can go to abnormalmapping.com to find this and lots of other leftist podcasts. You can also go to patreon.com slash abnormalmapping to get lots of bonus shows and extra stuff there too. They are also slightly changing up things at the moment because of solidarity with the SAG after strike. Certain movie-focused shows are going to be replaced by something else different. I'm curious to see what happens there, so it could be a good time to hop in and see what fun new projects they're going to do for an indefinite amount of time while the strike continues. That is all for this week. Thank you for listening, and keep reading.